Hey there, my name is Mark McCartney and welcome to the What is a Good Life podcast. Over the last couple of years, I've interviewed over 150 people around this question, not in an effort to provide a universal answer to this question, but to provide you with tools and content that help you find and define your own answer. Well, I'm also trying to provide you with what I perceive to be more genuine expressions of the human experience. In the 10th episode of the What is a Good Life podcast, I'm joined by Baiba Rubessa. Baiba is a business executive and leader across several industries. From natural resources, banking, automotive, telecoms, and most recently rail and transport, in which she also served as a chairperson and CEO of Rail Baltica. In this episode, Baiba takes us through her fascinating life of growing up in Germany and Canada, born to Latvian parents with a dream of of supporting our homeland, to ultimately being a part of a revolution in Latvia later in life, from being the only woman on many boards to supporting women's economic empowerment, as she currently serves as a co-founder of Novatore, all while sharing her thoughts on the golden rule, seizing the day, intuition, pivoting, and focusing on one's strengths. I wanted to interview Bai because I think she's lived a really unique life, and one I learned a lot from listening to her own reflections on life, as I'm sure you will too. And if you enjoy this conversation, please like, share, and subscribe, as I greatly appreciate your support at this stage of my podcasting journey. So without further ado, the 10th episode of the What is a Good Life podcast. So Baiba, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I was very much looking forward to, to having this conversation with you to cre- reconnect with you, but also more importantly, to, to hear your views on on this, on the topic of life, what is a good life and so forth. So I'm very grateful to have you here today. Well, it's a pleasure and I'm tickled pink that you thought of me. So ah. <laughs> as I've heard some of the previous speakers are mainly men which is always interesting. And uh, yeah, okay, go ahead. Trying to trying to rebalance that in the infancy of this podcast, uh, Baiba. So you'll, you'll, be, seeing more, you'll be seeing more balance <laughs> as, as we move through. Um, Baiba, the first question I have for you is, uh, what question are you trying to answer as you move through life? You know, I've never actually thought of life that way and I'm, I'm not probably as introspective as many who know me would assume I think there would be I just want to have what seems to be a good life to me uh, and, and an interesting compelling uh, scintillating um, adventurous you know life we can always get into whatever that means I think if there is sort of a, a in hindsight, more than more than foresight, um, I was brought up. Uh, I mean, I live in Riga in Latvia. I was born and I grew up in in Canada. And I've also spent a lot of time in Germany growing up. But the one thing that our parents instilled in uh, in us this is still in in Soviet times, or in other words, in the twentieth century, was a responsibility for a free and independent. Latvia, if not Baltic states, if not, you know, the collapse of the communist system, but certainly a, a very profound love towards a, comp- a country I wouldn't see for a, le- a very long time, etc. And and uh, certainly half of my life, if I, and I'm almost 69 now, has been about um, uh, working on ensuring that Latvia is a free, democratic, flourishing country and people um I'd, I'd say if there is a question that would certainly be the one i think that the other one is um in general again more in hindsight is one of being very uh committed to enacting 
the human human rights anywhere actually in the world in in different ways and now that i'm 69 you know you kind of wonder um how long life will be and and uh, be it with a pandemic or with anything you know you kind of know that your days are numbered uh it, i mean i'm not waiting for the grim reaper to arrive by any stretch of anybody's imagination but it's a question of how to you know spend the next decade or two um you know in, in a way that's truly enjoyable well, there's uh, there's lots you've covered there. Um, in in terms of this sentiment that I really enjoy or liked hearing, this idea that uh, maybe it's been scintillating more in hindsight rather than in uh, with foresight. How how do you kind of see yourself um, moving through life then? In that sense, like you know, in terms of what what can be planned and what you've just noticed is is just kind of surfacing or you're dealing with as as you move through life. I think what well, people in general are driven by their personalities, you know, and, yeah. and what forms them to a large extent. Uh, I'm a very positive extrovert, generally, you know, optimistic uh, person. My husband always says he never ceases to amaze him where I can find something positive in a disastrous, you know, situation. So. By being happy-go-lucky, I would say. Not totally happy-go-lucky. I'm a Taurus, you know, and a horse by the two different horse corps that are out there. So I have, you know, my four feet are very, legs are very much on the ground, but they also know how to run, you know, and, and, and do things and enjoy life. Taurians are all about, you know, joy, very hands-on joy. So I think the, the scintillating part is that, um, uh, I'm not one who ever planned my life. I neither planned the career nor anything else, and uh, uh, have, have gone down a path that that has been unbelievably good to me. So uh, I, I don't know how to respond to that question, you know, in any other yeah. in any other way. I think that that um, where it's whether it's from the Christian faith or from any other faiths, I think of this is you know, do unto others what you want. What is it done to yourself? That's the wrong end, but the idea is clear. And I actually think that that works. I think, you know, yeah, that, that you need to figure out how, how, if you're good to others, life will be good to you. If you help others, you will be helped when you need it. And fate, it's never a very direct equation ever. You know, it doesn't kind of work. I'll give you, you know, three oranges and I'll get the three oranges back. That's not how this works. But I think that yeah. in, in, in general, people who are good get goodness back. And evil people, not all of them, but a lot of them get back what they've done as well in the course of a lifetime. So, you know, it's stay, stay awake. But again, I'm very extrovert as well i love reaching out to the world around me whether it's intellectually or physically or or whatever um and at, by the same token i think there are a lot of people who are very introverts i have siblings i have a husband like that that where it's just different um and and they have 
very different lives uh, in many ways as well. You know, so it kind of depends. It's one day that, I've, you know, if COVID had two extremely tough jobs um, taught me, you know, to honor the um, AA top rule, which is one day at a time. But I really think one day, you know, when the world seems to be just a disaster around you and you don't know, you know, where to start and where to end this one day at a time, break it down, break it down, break it down, you know. I've never seen a five-year plan ever realized in, in business or anywhere else. You know, too much happens for the five-year. It's good to have, I think, those ambitions or a goal or, or whatever it is that, you know, within five or ten years I'll be this or that or do this or that. But, um, uh, but the main thing is to understand that that will change. It's only guidance. That's all that it is. So hold hold your plans lightly almost. Yeah. Yeah. I think revise your bucket list on an annual basis, you know, because you change, the world changes. If anything, COVID had everybody reflect for at least two seconds, if not longer. You know, what is life about? Where do I want to be? Whom do I want to be with? What will I do afterwards? What is actually of value? You know, really to me and each individual has very different answers to that and just knowing your career and the success you've had and i'll be on the intro to this podcast i'll be the audience are, are well okay. aware of who you are um and and what you've done but how just in terms of this not a, a five-year plan like how did you have a a north star as you moved through your career um no or is that a, never <laughs> no, it, it was never, I want to be, you know, president of a conglomerate. This was never the ambition, ever. Uh, I'm really surprised by a lot of the things that I've actually done, to be honest. <clears throat> but they seem very natural when they happen. So, you know, it's sort of, the, it, 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 it's going down the yellow brick road and, and understanding, you know, at times, you I've realized that the most rational decisions I've made have been usually the stupidest and, and or the most fraught, whereas those that come with a good dose of intuition have been correct for me. So the path went, you know, where, where it wasn't flawless by any stretch of the imagination. I think the incremental parts in a business point of view, for sure, you know, it, it is kind of we need to achieve X by Y, you know, but but uh, I know that even that changes, those goalposts change. But I am a totally unplanned in my career. My plan was to have 10 kids, a husband, a home, you know, somewhere. And it's none of that, absolutely none of that. And But that's when I was around 20, you know, and, and things just changed, so... I think uh, I think there's a quote by a lady called Margaret Atwood who says, "When uh, yeah. nothing is when nothing is certain, everything is possible." Uh, yeah, but that is <laughs> kind of that's true. Mind. But I think that's very, 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 very true. I find women. I mean, I don't have my own children. Uh, uh, I met 
a partner that I really wanted to live with rather late in life who had already had, you know, four daughters kind of a thing. He's an actor. Um, and, and, uh, uh, and I always, when, when I was a younger sort of from 35, 45, somewhere thereabouts, uh, uh, leader of an organization, I was astounded at what women are capable of doing that are highly motivated, especially in the post-Soviet world, where they were highly motivated, fantastic at the work that they did. They always had kids at young kids at home, still going on to even more education of something or other at university and usually taking care of their own parents and or their husbands or partners' parents. And I had no idea. I still don't understand how that how they were able to do that. But, you know, it's possible. And if I look at, I mean, I am certainly more concerned about the plight of women than men on, on the average. But, um, and when I see what, what women, um, well, have to bear is kind of too negative, but the kind of things that in, in different parts of the world women are confronted with, uh, for example, in Afghanistan today, it, it's, you know, it's beyond comprehension, beyond comprehension. I am part, I founded this women's movement in, in our region, and then we did a summit last year where a lot of it was concentrated on business women uh, in, in, the, in Ukraine. But we, I also connected with um, a woman in Afghanistan because I think, you know, when you're talking about post-war situations, and we are for sure in a war, post-war situation in ever so many ways, connected with this stunningly beautiful, well-educated uh, young woman, let's say from a prominent Afghani family, and and uh, spoke to her online, of course, you know, Kabul to Riga. Amazing that that even worked, frankly. Um, and and now when I see, and at that point, you know, a couple of rights had already been taken away. And, and she and her, especially her mother, founded a um, charity that uh, educates Afghani women, which means uh, they learn to read to count and they learn some sort of a skill, whether it is baking pancakes on the street or tailoring or fixing or, you know, very, very simple, good things. But that, in that way, they could finance their families. You know, there's Professor Linda Scott has written uh, several studies and several books about this where she does studies and, and you see what, I, I'm an extremely privileged woman in, in, more ways than one and and you know when you see what happens even first of all with uneducated women who are deeply poor and then you have educated women who are completely aware of what is being done to them is uh, you know i find all of that very shocking so the question is how do you deal with it i mean you have we have a war in ukraine a brutal brutal, unnecessary, violent war. And in all wars, also, I mean, nothing against male soldiers, don't get me wrong. Uh, but, you know, the, the scope of, of um, uh, um, rape and violence, apart from being a soldier, whether you're a you know, man or a woman and terror and all of that, 
I just find it unbelievable. You know, we're back to the 19th and 20th centuries, and that's like 500 kilometers from here. Yeah, it's uh, it's staggering, kind of the the chasm between our like yeah. even stepping back from humanity and just thinking our most loving and our most destructive yeah. uh, behaviors and. Just even when you were mentioning there, though, like the the focus you have in in a, in setting up a movement at this point, um, referencing just the the experience of even uh, connecting with this lady in Afghanistan, mm. and at what point did, or I guess a, a better way of framing it, did you was this did this become part of a mission for you as you were going through your career, or or how did this this kind of this piece evolve for you? I think it evolved, it crystallized, that it would be a better way of, of describing it. Uh, uh, once I retired, uh, I, I heard later, once I retired, that, you know, I was a great champion of women whenever, you know, the work, but I've never had this sort of obvious ambition for, to, to make sure that, you know, women are treated fairly promoted fairly and remunerated fairly in, in the workforce, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it certainly concerns me. And I, and I think that um, uh, I've worked in male dominated industries um, and, and I'm very used to being the only woman in the room as many women executives who've experienced that, you know, it's, it's something you get very, you just get used to it as any situation, um, but I also think, and I and studies show that all you know whether it's McKinsey or Harvard or or Boston Consulting Group or any of the, any of that shows that when when women are also in management at top at the top of management or in supervisory boards, you know profit increases for companies by twenty five percent. Innovation, depending on how you look at it, between sixteen and sixty percent. You know all of these kinds of things. So there's yeah, the, benefit. The, bus to having... the business case is the business case is irrefutable. I think at this point. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, but you know it is still a struggle. I sit on four boards, and then when I say okay, and that we're all into diversity, you know, by Joe, we're into diversity. At least you know gender. Let us not get into the other way. And I say, well, you know, there's age, there's race, there's a lot of other things here, but Okay, I'm concentrating on, on on gender, and I strongly believe that if you had more women at the top in the C-suite, uh, we would be better off. Also, the women would be better off. That there's a this is the Professor Linda Scott part about uh, you know empower women's economic empowerment that actually contributes to GDP, therefore to our own well-being. They pay taxes, the family, you know, there are a lot a lot of benefits to it. Uh, but the interesting thing is that women don't aspire to that in the same way that men do. And women actually need a different kind of encouragement to want to have power and be very clear about monetary goals and ambitions for companies and for themselves. I mean, I hated any discussions about salaries. 99% of women do. Most people, I don't think, like to talk about it in general, but women really don't. And, um, you know, so we've created an environment and courses and, and dialogue and mentoring around this to, to 
have more women want to aspire to being great leaders. Um, and all around the world, even in extremely developed countries. I mean, I think, I think the most developed probably is Sweden. And they've been at this a much longer time than many other countries. I mean, Nor Norway had a 40% quota for women on boards about 10 years ago. There are different points of view of whether this is successful or not. But I know that without quotas, it ain't going to happen at all. Uh, it, it will be the exception. And and when I talked to even my peers on board, they said, oh, by the way, there aren't enough qualified women. And I go, really? Really? Did you look? You know, where have you looked? So, and, and apart from traditional roles, like women being in charge of HR, very normal thing. Yeah, just yeah, to, I digress. That, that, no, no, no. Um, I'm just intrigued the the experience from your perspective of being on a being on a board, um, and you're literally the the only woman. Like, what 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 does? Can you give us a sense of what that feels like, or or, or how you how you navigate that situation? You know, I I was very lucky. I had. A father who was also a business executive, who I, I'm the oldest child of three of three, and we were always equal. There, there was, you know, I I never thought it was a second-rate gender, you know, person. So for me, it was very normal to be in the environments that I was in. I think that in the um, I never really thought about it until I was about 50. And, and uh, somebody pointed out to me how unusual, you know, it is. I mean, there are some advantages of being the only woman because you can flirt, you know. Uh, and when you're also younger than most of the guys on, on the board, you know, they really want to teach you things and stuff like that. So, you know, that there are parts that are certainly better. But I think, and I know that from other women like myself, there is one, you know, birds of a feather flock together, they say. Men flock differently than women flock. The first lesson I learned in, in that kind of an environment was I need to be up on sports. I have absolutely zero interest in sports, any sports. Always, you know, but hey, I can talk soccer and hockey and tennis, you know, as good as the rest. Because I knew that if I didn't do that, and also because I worked a lot with journalists in industrial environments, you know, that's what boys talk about mainly is about predominantly about sports. The next one, of course, will be money in different environments. It'll be, you know, stocks, trades and la, 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 la. Even women in finance don't talk about that that much as men do. They, you know, well, we may talk about shoes, which may seem ridiculous to most men. You know, shoes are just as interesting as stock options sometimes. But, but you have to, I think, understand that it's very different. Um, I've been in environments where I am of the only nationality in other words, all the others are one nationality. I'm of a different nationality and background. And and so you, you just learn to first listen, understand, you know, where you are. 
and and understand um, try to understand where you're different and different and find commonality. For example, these days when you do a lot of diversity training in organizations, one of the first thing that the first things that consultants would do with you is they train you to be aware of your own prejudice. Even if you think that you're the most open, tolerant person in the world, you know, I've always thought so. And then I went, holy shit, that's not true, really. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. all of us have prejudice somewhere. A humbling you know, experience but, to acknowledge them, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, it, 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 as, as in all things, when you learn them, go, oh, really? And then you kind of learn to accept, first accept them and work with them and work with the environment that you, you've got. When I come from communication, ultimately, from the broad definition of, the, of professionally of, of communication, and, and therefore what you learn there is how you can take on a lot of information, try to distill it, make it clear to others, but you have to be able to take on a lot of you know, information. And then the question is, whom are you disseminating the information to? If it's in English, is it an audience where English is the third language or fourth language? You know, my sophisticated English won't go far. I've simplified a lot how I speak just because I know most people don't understand my vocabulary, especially when I'm trying to be precise. Scintillating is a word most of the people around me will not know. And they, you know, and they speak English very well. You know, so that's the, so it's those kinds of things, you know. You learn. You, but it is, you know, you feel patronized. I think the main thing most women will feel, I still feel patronized. You know, I'm almost 70, kind of explaining things to me, mansplaining, as they say. And it's not, it's not ever meant negatively. You know, I think that one thing you need to accept is when we did, you know, for example, last year we did the summit, Novatory Impact Summit. And we had great sponsors, knew the sponsors, a bunch of them men. And then one of them calls me, says, Baiba, says, do you think I can come in to the event? It's women talking about, you know, circular economy. It's not, we're not talking about tampons or, you know, menopause. It's, we're talking about economic issues. <laughs> Sponsored by Audi, this cool Audi at the back of the hall. And, and, uh, uh, and I said, do you think I could? I said, of course. You know, it's like any conference of this, you know, of, uh, of an economic nature. I said, but there will be so many women. I says, will I not feel strange? And I said, well, welcome to my world. Yeah, you know, yeah, of yeah. dark what suits. A, welcome to my world. So there a, we are. What an inter interesting kind of experiential exchange. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're uh, sitting for the next summit, trying to ensure we have a handful of men in the audience. It was not enough to have them on stage. We actually need them in the audience. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's interesting, though, this, uh, just this notion I know, I know of, like, uh, you know, you're surveying the landscape and seeing the opportunities of being the only woman, too. But also, do you find that you, do you find that you have to, relinquish parts of yourself like even you know making the concessions with i'm not all that interested in sports but i know if i want to play this game um and i recall even when i worked in banking earlier in my career like i'd know people even men too right like trying to keep up on things that they knew the boss were interested in even when they weren't so i understand there's a degree of a game to it but 
do you feel like that it made you like relinquish parts of who you were or no okay i i've never felt that i i think there it could be that you know i to quote frank sinatra i really did it my way uh i think that most people who who reach fairly high positions just feel very comfortable with themselves you know uh, yeah. I, I think that the the uh, there are things where you go well. You can't do. It's impossible to do things one hundred percent. And I and I don't think any human being really knows, you know, what is hundred percent for them in yeah. a in a given time. I mean, you you will certainly know what's not good for you. But the the at the end of the day, I think you, that's the one day at a time mantra that I think is a very valuable one because I think you need to, you know, seize the day. I think if the pandemic taught me anything, it was don't put things off if you can. You yeah. know, are you wondering where your long lost, you know, school companion is? Well, find him or her. You know, yeah. say hi. And if it's great, great. If not, hasta la vista, you know. So <laughs> uh, it, it's, no, it's those kinds of things because I think that, uh, you know, life is short. Just in terms of this idea of comfort in yourself, is that something that I know you mentioned like you're almost like strongly extroverted um that you also have this kind of trust or faith? You know, you were kind of alluding to the idea that, you're not like counting how many oranges uh, you give me in, in, yeah. in expectation that I give <laughs> yeah. you three back. Is this, how have you, was that trusting an innate thing? Is that something that you worked on or, or how would you kind of explain that? Um, I mean, things have not been perfect. I mean, when, when I was around 30, I thought everything in my life was wrong. You know, all of my girlfriends were getting married, having children, kind of what's wrong with me. I'm living in right. Europe. You know, et cetera, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and and fell into a, a, a bit of a deep depression, probably midlife crisis early, and and uh, I think I was smart enough, and actually at the behest of my sister, uh, I went back to Toronto and spent a year in therapy, and that was really worth my while, really worth my while. Because it, it um, the therapist taught me to get to know myself. I was able to, you know, close chapters of my life that I had subconsciously kept open. At one point, it really felt like, you know, kind of physically, it's like in a book, you know, and yeah. ending a chapter and then and then moving on. And helped me kind of to take the next steps. And I've remembered all of those lessons when I've, uh, felt fairly frustrated or unhappy or or, or whatever you know in, in all of that. So I don't know if I'm you know replying to your question properly, but but you know all I can say is things change. In the startup world, you may be uh, you maybe have listeners who you know come from that world, uh, and and the lesson I took from them, having been in there a little bit, and also. With my my partner in Innovatore is, you know, business people, especially who come from large corporations, they have a plan. You know, they figured out 
the strategy and where we're going to go and what we're going to achieve. And they're not good at pivoting. You know, they will try to do whatever it is, come what may. And and I have learned in some of the last five to ten years is, you know, you don't have to try to drive through that cave alone and just, you know, one way. It is possible to pivot and say, this is really not working. Why are we bothering with this? Let's Let's find the next thing. You know, let's kind of change what is it that we're not seeing or what should we be doing or change things entirely. I think a lot of us have learned to do that now in the last four or five years. Uh, but uh, I think it gives great freedom. Also in business, it, it's not just uh, uh, it's not just in life. I, I see that in, in the different other companies that, that I deal with. But you have to be ready to pivot. And, and you have to be ready to say, okay, this isn't working. Let's go that way. Uh, but then, you know, have the right people to journey with. You have to have the right traveling companions. Different roads, different journeys, need different kinds of traveling companions. You know, find the right ones. Yeah, I, I love this, uh, the kind of thread of trust through that response in terms of trust, like facing some adversity, seeking uh seeking uh guidance or support and exploring that closing chapters and developing a trust within yourself through the process of knowing oneself better and then even when you're talking about then business stuff like you have more potential trust or i always think if someone sticks rigidly to a plan even when the writing is on the wall there's a lack of trust or stupid. a lack of in themselves yeah. <laughs> yeah but you know there's it's stupid. kind of fear like yeah, yeah. i mean i i have never I don't, I rationally understand why Steve Jobs and Elon Musk are seen as some sort of, you know, giants. I think they're very lonely, nasty boys who got lucky. Hmm. Um, and and uh, jo Jobs definitely much more so than Elon Musk. I think Elon Musk is just uh, bad for our society, bad for our community, bad for business. Maybe except for Tesla, but you know, it, it, it just, we don't need billionaires of that kind around us, you know. So, so I think that if you, I keep on want, you know, the same thing about what you give, you know, comes around the idea is, is, uh, when will Elon really get the backlash that he deserves? This, you know, petulant boy basically mm. yeah well i think uh i was always a bit confused with uh with tesla when they had more in government subsidies than they did in sales but uh that's <laughs> that's another discussion i guess but but in terms yeah. just when you when you mentioned this idea of uh most of your like when you look at some of the best decisions that you've made in life and just kind of carrying on maybe even the, the yeah. thread of, of of trust through your life the most of the decisions you made were not made from uh, were not rational decisions as such. Can you kind of elaborate on when you started to, or like big decisions that maybe you've made where where that turned out to be the case, or when you started to notice this? I've probably been like that my whole life. Let's put it that way. Let's start with that. Okay. Um, uh, I I realized, you know. Um, 
I have a bit of a complicated life in, in terms of locations of where to live. You know, I feel equally at home in North America as I do in Europe, uh, or in that, for that matter, you know, in Eastern Europe, Eastern Europeans hate being called Eastern Europeans, but let alone post-Soviet. But they are very different environments. Um, and and uh, I feel at home in all of them. And everybody, everyone from those environments sees me in some ways as a foreigner. You know, so you kind of, there's a part where I'm a foreigner. I, yes, you are of the family, but not really. You know, there's a part of you that's different, which is true. So it, so this was, so when, when I was, I guess, 16, you know, I, we came back from, my family from Germany, where in high school I was this class president, uh, late 60s, Germany is highly political. And then we went to Toronto, you know, and the biggest issue is who's the captain of the football team, you know. It's... <laughs> My sister and I were looked upon as very strange European birds, you know, in, in all of that. Uh, and and so that that actually teaches you to go with the flow a little bit. I think that's the intuition part, you know, which part is me, which part is not. I know that what I I made the move back to Europe intuitively. I mean, there was an offer there to do something, but it was um, really, you know, should I? Similarly, it, it is to move to the the move to Latvia. It was. I mean, this is right after right at the tail end of Perestroika, the new republic is barely new. I mean, it, and it was as, except my mother was scared stiff, you know, what will happen to her daughter uh, in these circumstances. Totally proud, but totally scared, you know, at the same time. And, and uh, uh, it, it's those kind of things. And, and, uh, and, and similarly in career decisions. Um, of, of of things that were offered there there were several i tried some things that and failed miserably uh and it was i should have realized that you know at the time because intuitively something was not was off kind of a thing i should have listened to that intuition um i mean i don't think everything that i've done is totally intuitive but i know that some of the things i said well i really should be doing this because were actually either shouldn't have bothered, it had no, made no difference, or was actually negative. You know? So these days, when I do have the choice, I, I who am a news junkie, decides not to read or listen to certain kind of news, because I know it'll just depress me. And so why bother? <laughs> you know, kind of, it's a rep repetition of something that I know will depress me. I've been in, taught in very, or gone to places that are, in a communication sense, extremely closed, you know, in the old days in Cuba or go to Mongolia or something like this, you know. And, and I know that if, if there's the kind of news that I really need to know, international or personal, I will be found. You know, yeah, there's yeah. no such thing as you need to be the first to know. But having said that, you know, on the night of from the 23rd to the 24th of February last year, I lay in bed with my phone literally in my hand. I didn't sleep all night until at 5 o'clock in the morning. You know, the rockets and the army came into Ukraine, 
And then I fell asleep for a few hours. And I realized that, you know, now we are into a different world altogether. And then the question was, so when do the Russians come into my country? Because we're next. There is no question. My Moldova may be there in, in the meantime, but, you know, Moldova will be easy from Ukraine. And then come come we. I know, uh, I know what you're saying, like where you're, what you, uh, how you kind of identify it as, like in terms of uh, nationality, obviously having grown up in Germany, spent time in Canada, um, and then obviously this connection with, with Latvia. Just going back to this idea there of your, almost your mother um, kind of being simultaneously proud, but fearful of, of what you're about to embark upon. Can you describe this kind of call or this, like, this call to to try to contribute to something in Latvia, like what, like even you know you're you have this career, you're highly you know you've got you've got all these options, I'm sure, and and this is what this is what you decide to do. Well, first of all, it was for sure the the great example of my father and my father's friends in in Canada <clears throat> who had highly um, successful professional lives. And they all had a second life. And that was the one about, you know, making sure that there's a free and independent Latvia at some point in time, or at least that their kids would speak the language. I mean, any, almost, the immigrant societies in general, whether they're especially refugee societies, will will usually be uh, twofold. One will say, I want to forget absolutely everything that I've left behind. What my grandfather was like that, you know. He said clearly, "Ubi bene, ibi patria." You know, where where I am is is my home. This in Latin, and and uh, and much later, knowing of his history in the war, I understand why you know he was kind of dumb with all of that. And then the other ones, I'd say, but I still want my kids to maintain nationality abc i mean netflix and tv today is flooded with korean stories for example you know and and, and that kind of you know, that kind of a thing um so it this was instilled into us my i mean i have a sister and a, a younger sister and younger brother and my sister and i probably was similar this was you know bashed over our heads and both of us first of all fled from this <laughs> right, like, right. no you know this is all fine and dandy, but you know, there's a big wide world out there, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, but both of us also went to visit Soviet Latvia, and that for sure changed my perception. Any, if you talk to anybody who then go to see their um, family's roots in in uh, occupied countries uh, uh, or you know run by dictators or what, whatever it is. Most of them will have a very similar reaction. It became very real to me, and that, that's in the seventies, you know, already. So that when independence came, I, I had been the head of the Latvian National Youth Association, lots of other stuff. Did a Baltic Peace and Freedom cruise, you know, outside of Helsinki and, and, and those kinds of things, and and uh, uh, we weren't very many. There weren't thousands, but there were hundreds that followed the great uh, thought of, of um, put your money where your mouth is. It's all about a free and independent country or region. Let's build democracy. 
and I had the I had the privilege of being single, having enough money, having you know worked already in different places, saying okay, I'll do this for two years. If I don't like it in you know newly independent Latvia, I can always leave. And I was very close to that, you know. So I thought nobody really wants me here. Why am I bothering? You know, after two years, and then there were different kinds of things that turned unexpectedly, and voila, you know. So here I am. But the the um, I think you'll find that today in Europe and in North America. I mean, I grew up also with a in a in a city that had in Toronto that has a huge Ukrainian. Or Polish communities, you know, hundred thousand plus. Mm. So th those environments, you know, teach you about back home. Yeah. And all of these societies have different developments in the first, second, third, fourth generation. It's how language gets diluted, you know. Let alone the great Irish diaspora. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This tiny little island with so many Irish pubs in the world, you know. So <laughs> the permeating music and you know, etc., etc. So I think it, it, everything is relative. Yeah, I don't know if I explained um, it, but it's uh, no, no. You like it? It, it seemed. Um... There was there were good examples in your life. There was like a tradition that was instilled in you yeah. as well, and there was just a a curiosity, like or a, like some idea or like a mission that you you wanted to take on to to some extent as well. Mark, it, I mean, I was part of a revolution. I helped. I was able to live in a genuine post revolutionary society, and in some way help shape it shape it for better or worse. Different story. But definitely uh, part of shaping it, you know. And and I know when history books are written, I won't be one of the first people that are there for sure, but possibly. But I know all the players. And in small countries, you know, everybody knows the players. I even know them in the other two neighboring countries, you know. So yeah. I, I think it's a, a – uh, uh, and I, I think it – I mean, I think it is very much about uh, think global, act local. Everybody has to have a local place. If you don't, you know, even crazy America with crazy, really crazy Trump and MAGA, what drives them is this one common feeling of home. You know, that, that, the, the, the craziness that is there that I think is extremely dangerous uh, for, for the fiber of not only American but global society is is uh, also this we need common values common we need something to hold on to you know in a sea where where america is actually fairly valueless you know so they with pockets of you know exceptions in terms of how you'd kind of see the not the the arc of your your story to this yeah. point you know like this uh so you have this very kind of multi multicultural experience growing mm -hmm. up of different influences. Uh, then this this idea you've just said there of almost you know holding both the global and the local in mind, and and in terms of like coming to service to each other and common values mm -hmm. and these kind of things. But you know, having gone through having your own successful career and um, being, you know the 
the the lady the one lady in the boardroom where you know navigating this space but also feeling having gone through your own kind of personal journey in terms of trusting yourself finding out more about yourself and and navigating these spaces and feeling quite comfortable in this as well even though they're you know you're aware of the anomaly that your situation was and then you know as you moved through life kind of focusing on other missions then whether it's uh, more women in business um uh, human rights um then also just the the idea of bringing like democracy to to latvia as well is that like is that just did your focus generally tend to just kind of project outwards once you had satisfied something for yourself in terms of your own personal performance or how do you kind of see Mark, that shift I'm in not, looking outside of yourself i i am not that introspective at all and have never been let's put it that right. way i look at this younger generation to it that i'm looking at right now let alone much younger and and amazed by the need for self reflection and self improvement constant you know uh, around it. I don't know where that comes from. So that part is a little bit alien to me. Uh, I, uh, what I have learned many years ago, um, I was in a company that a little did a lot of psychological studies of their uh, executives. Um, and so I kind of know different kinds of psychological you know, tests and all of this. And I, I know where I have been constant over the years. And for me, that has been, those have been the best tools for understanding who I am and what motivates me. And one of them, can't remember what the name of it was anymore, senior moment here, was that one of them uh, was based on, on the assumption that people are better uh, doing what they prefer to do instead of trying to learn something that they really don't prefer to do. For example, I hate numbers in business. This sounds very strange, you know, but if anybody makes me sit down to do the tiny itsy bitsy number stuff, it drives reports, you know, expense, it drives me crazy. But give me numbers for sort of strategic analysis. It's a completely different thing. And I know right. that I'm much better in a, in a tandem with somebody in in a in a leadership position, or even just you know in in an NGO or something, I need the CFO, the smart finance person beside me, and and you can complement you know each other uh, in that way. So it, so I for sure the last 15, 20 years, I have yeah last fifteen or so years. Uh, I have always tried to um, live from a position of strength. Don't try to fix that, which is, why should I fix this? You know, hmm. there has to be good. There are things that should be fixed, but, you know, or improved. But I, I don't think, and the older you get, I think the least you should concentrate. Be your, you know, to thine own, own self be true. I'm full of platitudes today, but... But really, you know, to thine own self be true. Um, yeah. and, and I think that you, you will feel more comfortable with yourself and the world around you, you know, will feel better. In the last uh, uh, five, eight years, I've also mentored different kinds of, not only women, but men as well. 
and people come up to me in, in this country, in any case, some others do, but mainly in Latvia, and say, you have no idea how you have influenced me. And I go, really? You know, how? Yeah. Uh, and and it's you know so lead by example is I, I think the the more people who are naturally comfortable with themselves and just do things the way that they do I'm not so sure that many actually think about it a hell of a lot um, you know if you look at if you look at all of these family dramas be it succession or you know, succession is a, a good one, and we see some of them played out with the royal family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know, you never know what things are like behind closed doors. That's for sure. You know, you never know what people are like, either in a formal business sense or in a family sense, or you know, in a voluntary sense or or, or whatever. But usually, um, people show who they are. And and great leaders are the are the ones where others follow. If you see a leader that is being followed, you you can't. I I am I'm of the absolute definite uh, persuasion that you cannot teach that kind of leadership. You either have it or you don't. You can hone the skills of being a good leader. That's for sure. But you either have it or you don't. Yeah, I think you're you're touching on something very interesting here, though, too, in terms of, I don't know, it seems like there's such a rush for people to figure or to think that they can eradicate all their, what they perceive to be their flaws. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, kind of as, you, as you're alluding to, as you move through life, and I, I'm, I'm seeing this myself, like, I think it's kind of more coming to to peace with the totality of yourself and be, where can you best direct that or where what's the best fit in channeling that or, or what's the best use for it? Because... Like you can, you can read whatever books you want. You can do as many hours of therapy. You can do many, many things to try to, to try to change something. But I think a lot of us kind of remains consistent and it's more our relationship yeah. to different parts of ourselves, For sure. whether, whether that's coming into acceptance of it. Um, and then it shows up less flagrantly, if you know what I mean, or, you know, I, I but I, I think we fundamentally there's something in our essence that I think needs to be expressed. Like if you can find an expression for it, I think that's a, that's a really helpful way of, of, of getting the most out of oneself. Like, I mean, we met learning about coaching and this was the, you know, I'm, re I'm retired. I can figure out what I'm going to do with myself because I realized I was not going to, you know, forever watch Netflix. And, and <laughs> the, the, um, and I, and I know that I'm a good teacher. People like me to teach in, in whichever way. So the coaching process, which I did not complete, I completed it but didn't bother getting the coaching license because I realized in the exercise, the coaching taught me much better how to structure questions, how to, it's, it's like, I mean, I've been trained in negotiations probably just like yourself and sort of all of the different tools that were, that were there I still deploy today happily, you know, some of them at least, not maybe, who knows, but a large part of them. But the interesting part was that I'm sure it's in most of these <coughs> coaching um, education is that you'd have one-on-ones, you'd test being a coach on, on everybody. Yeah. And the big trick is the coach has to, should never have the right answer. You, you, you know, your main task is to, to, for your client is to ask the questions so that he or she finds the right answer themselves. 
And I know that after every single coaching session that I did, everybody said, okay, that was really great, but what do you really think? Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, what should I do? And, and I thought to myself, now here's a hint. You know, I will never be a coach. This is not going to happen. At this age, with this experience, and with my character, it ain't going to happen. But maybe I could be a very good mentor, or I'll put this to use in some other way. That's that pivoting part where I realized that I remember struggling for a month. Should I actually try to get the license or not, or whatever, the certificate, and decided that that for me would be a waste of time. There's no point in doing that because I will never start a business as a coach because every other person will say, so what do you really think? And so, you know, use that in in a different way. I I like that. You know, um, Bobby, just coming up to the the end of the conversation here and just, you know, you've touched on so many things like in terms of even just mentioning the word again, pivoting there, you've touched on, you know, making uh, or, you know, alluding to the fact of trusting yourself and making rational or rational decisions not haven't necessarily been the the way that you've made some of your best decisions in life. So there's an element of uh, trust through it, Uh, an acknowledgement of life is this unfolding thing as well. You know, you can, in hindsight, you can tell the story, but while it's happening, you know, even as you alluded to your mission, it was crystallizing as you went through life. And, and I know you're mentioning the sense of life is short too. And just to go do it. Like if a, if a friend is, is, uh, if you're thinking about uh, contacting an old friend, contact them. It doesn't matter how it goes, just do it. And, you know, even mentioning this idea again, earlier of leading by example, and so much of what you're, you're kind of referring to is, just getting out there and trying it and then seeing seeing how life plays out after you've you've taken you've taken you've done your part in the co-creation as such just to as i have a tendency to do to finish these podcasts uh, just ask you one last time for yourself uh how would you kind of categorize what is a good life for you i think you know the if the world were perfect it's a day where you experience a moment of joy every single day you know and Joy can be a great risotto, a kiss on the cheek, wonderful music, you know, feeling of success, whatever it is. I think that's really what one should aspire to. Um, that, that for me, is a lot, it's that joy. It's a, kind of a life lessons from Marie Kondo, you know, doesn't bring you joy. So and yeah. I think there, there's a lot of that. And the other one is, is really living by the golden rule. I think whether it's individually, or globally, you know, business-wise, country-wise, global-wise, I don't care how you look at it, uh, uh, you know, be, I mean, I'm the eternal, I really am the eternal optimist. And, and I think that if you go with positive things, positive things will happen to you, you know, and, and, and even greater, the royal you, <laughs> the community around you, you. So, yeah, that would be, that would be the main thing. Good life is, you know, good people enjoy i uh i really like this sentiment and i even like the sense of even a moment of joy in a day you know sometimes life can be difficult in trying but yeah. those moments are still there to be to be appreciated if we if we take the time or if we pay attention to the things as well um yeah. and just also this sense of um I think we can kind of create our own world or how we perceive our world is often framed by a lot of our own actions you know so when you're totally. talking earlier about you put out you put something out into the world that's going to greatly affect how you yeah. perceive other people and, and and assume what they may do as well so by the look 
thank you so much for all the the pearls of wisdom that you've dropped um i've really enjoyed speaking with you again viva and thank you very much for joining us on very welcome god bless thank you